Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And this is the next in our series of 2020 mini-episodes. During this time of social distancing, we realized that a lot of our favorite authors and artists would not be able to promote their new books. We've spoken with incredible creators of middle grade and YA and graphic novels and picture books, and we're really excited to share this with you. Please enjoy this slight deviation from our regular content, and remember to buy from your local independent bookstores. We continue our series today by interviewing someone who has won both an Academy Award and a Pulitzer and worked on everything from movies to picture books to everything in between. Comics pioneer, Jules Pfeiffer. Hello, Mr. Pfeiffer. Hello. We are so excited that you could be here with us today. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so we were hoping that we could just dive right in and ask you to tell us a little bit about Smart George, uh, the sequel to the classic Bark George. Which started actually as a bedtime story for my youngest daughter. And, um, and in the middle of telling the story, because she didn't allow me to tell a familiar story, she wanted a new story every night. So the Watch your hair is odd. There were 355 stories a year, which can get a little <laughs> constrain the brain a bit. Um, and uh, in the middle of telling the story of Bart George, I realized, hey, this could be a book. This is good stuff. But problem was that I knew that once I finished telling her a bedtime story from past precedent, after she passed out, I passed out on the lower bunk of her bunk bed. So back in my studio as soon as I finished it, scribbled some notes, stepped back to the bunk where I fell asleep as I always did. When I woke up, I didn't remember a single word. Uh, <laughs> but the notes told me the story that became Bark George. And it was the most successful and, and in many ways the most satisfying of all my picture books for children. And for years, I wanted to do a sequel and could never come up with one in, what, 25 years or whatever it was, went by. And I was on my way into New York because I now live out in, on the east end of Long Island for some kind of uh, whatever it was that I didn't want to do. And I was very unhappy about going in. And I thought, to make, to make this trip useful, I'm going to have an idea for the sequel for Spark George by the time I get back home. So I started scribbling down notes and scribbling ide down ideas. I take a hired car in because my eyesight doesn't allow me to drive anymore. And by the time I got back home, I had the book And <laughs> after 25 years or so. And that's how it came about. Is George modeled on a family dog? No, George is totally made up. I had a family dog, Lily, but George was just um, a sweet character that, you know, that came out of all the doggy stories that children read about or are told about or whatever it was. But once his character was defined by the first book, that served as the kind of matrix for the second book. I knew that I had to stay within certain limits, but I had to stretch those limits. I knew that I had to use the characters or should use characters from the first book in the second book. And that was backed up completely by Michael DiCapua, who fortunately lives out near where I am here in exile. And on the basis of that, I just started putting things together. And I find when I write for many years now, 
it comes across as more of an improvisation than not. I don't know if I have any idea what I'm going to put down before I do it. And then it kind of either writes itself, which will make it worthy of doing, or the brain will get involved and it'll be crappy. So this one just wrote itself the way, the, the, the way book one did. And with a little work, a little editing, it came out even better than I hoped it would. I think you'll be charmed by it. And I hope because of all of the crap going on, it'll put you in a better frame of mind, <laughs> which, which God knows we all need. So you started in comics. Before you walked into Will Eisner's office, what were your favorite comics that you were into? Well, at that time, one feature he did, The Pull of the Spirit, which appeared as a supplement in, and where I lived in the Bronx. It was in the Park Chester Review, and I was an addict of Eisner. But in addition, I was a co-addict of Milton Kniff, who did Terry and the Pirates. These two artists were, in very different ways, brilliant storytellers as well as illustrators. My earliest scholarship had nothing to do with school. It was studying comic strip, and they taught me an awful lot. Uh, the, the rudiments of storytelling in comic strip form, which I think stays with me today, with my own extensions and improvisations and amendations. But basically, it's the lessons I learned from Eisner and Kniff and maybe a few others. But Eisner was a sweetheart. It sounds like you had a great collaborative relationship for many, many years. We did. It was full of, you know, back and forth. Our politics were very different. I was far more left than he was. And I would try to sneak my radical vision here and there when I could into the spirit stories that I wrote. And uh, he would happily censor them, (laughs) (laughs) which never bothered me because I was just trying to see what I could get away with. And, and, uh, and I got away with, (laughs) and I got away with some of the stuff, but I, you know, I had references to the, uh, war into China, which Eisner had no interest in. And I did. And that the French foreign legion was made up of Nazi troops from Germany, you know, uh, which, you know, I, stuck in one of the spirit stories and things like that that had to do with my burgeoning politics at the time which to to this very day still burgeons (laughs) and then you branched out into your own actually syndicated comic strip right well i had to go through the army first and the army really shaped my my thinking because it made me lose interest in the conventional doing the conventional comic strip all i wanted before the army was to be the next Walt Kelly or the, uh, who did Pogo or mm-hmm. the next Al Cap who then did the Labner, which was liberal in those days. And I would have been very happy by the time I got out of the army and had this war with authority that went on for two years. I just wanted to do, well, essentially what I wanted to do was overthrow the government. So I invented the form that, you know, I later got known for working in, but first before the Village Voice here, doing a a few long narrative cartoons, stories like Monroe about a four-year-old kid who got drafted into the army by mistake because the army doesn't draft men of force, so they couldn't have made a mistake. And everything I did had to do with battles with authority and the establishment, and basically that set me on a trail of work that continued for many, many years. So when you started to move into illustrative work, did you find any particular challenges moving your work from comics form and kind of the comics medium into illustrative work? 
Oh God, yes, it was scary. But I find I've always found scary to be um, exciting and good. I had to do a lot of playing around because one thing, comics were black and white with color applied, and doing children's picture books, uh, among the other books I did, involved a certain different look, a certain different drawing style, and and the use of color in a way that I never applied it before, and really didn't know how to do until I learned how to do it while doing it. There are a whole bunch of artists I use as models along the way who whose work, like the children's books of William Steig, the work of André Francoise, the Arthur gets some of them, but there were a whole, you know, suddenly I, I looked to other role models to steal from. And, and God knows there are plenty out there. <laughs> and I learned And I learned and plundered from them all. I still plunder to this day. When you have done collaborative projects such as the Phantom Tollbooth, I know you did the art part, but was there more collaboration with the writer? Well, there couldn't be any more of a collaboration. We were roommates. <laughs> and uh, we lived in a, in, a, in, a, in a duplex in Brooklyn Heights, uh, or just outside of Brooklyn Heights on Court Street in Brooklyn. And Norton Juster had the top floor. I had the lower floor with a third roommate, Max Eckstein, who was an English teacher from England. And when Norton started writing Tollbooth, he would come downstairs, read me chapters, and I just started making sketches with no idea that, that this was something I was going to illustrate. It was just basically what Norton was reading to me was so exciting and interesting that I couldn't help trying to figure out what it should look like. And so from the beginning, it was that kind of collaboration. We lived in that part of Brooklyn. There were all these secondhand wonderful bookstores. And I would go in and study study without buying the English children's illustrators who were around and, and try to adapt my drawing style, which in, in, in the cartoon form was antithetical to what I wanted for Norton's book, to a more illustrative uh, line drawing style and managed to come up with something that either worked or almost worked. Obviously, we usually discuss children's literature, but even in that genre, we've been really gratified to see graphic novels becoming a lot more mainstream. Not just kids' literature, adults read mm -hmm. them too. I don't know if you're familiar with my noir graphic novels, but those are strictly adult books. The Kill My Mother series. Yes. And what, and what I'm working on now, I have one more George book to do, uh, a sequel to the sequel, but I've just finished also book one for Harper's of a fantasy sci-fi series. That'll be two books. And I'm going about that the same way I've gone about the others, which is try to read or watch movies of all sorts of sci-fi fantasy stuff for younger people uh, and steal from them in my own way and, and, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and, and learn how and learn how to do something I've never done before. And these are graphic novels I, as well? Yeah, Yes, it's a graphic novel. They're not ready to announce it, so I won't give you a title yet, but I've got all of that. And I've finished the first book, and now I'm working on the second one, and I'm having a ball. How exciting. Uh, it is exciting, and it's, and it's um, what I've learned. Uh, and this came about, I think, just with getting older. I learned, as well as being the creator, I'm also very much the reader of my own book. So 
I go about it as somebody who's reading this work of this guy, and, and, and I'm as anxious to find out what he does with it, and how it turns out, as anybody else. I try not to plot ahead anything, and the story becomes an improvisation, page by page, until I suddenly have a light bulb going off in my head in comic strip style, and, <laughs> and, and know where it's going, and know what I'm doing, and suddenly uh, the rest of the way is lit, and I make notes on that, but I don't want to slavishly adhere to them. I want to be full of surprises to myself. That sounds like a really interesting way and wonderful way to work. Well, it's just, it's, it's, it's enormous fun. It's, <laughs> it's also, you, it's all, you, also, you screw up a lot and I have to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's, that's okay. Anything else that you're working on? I know you, you've just told us about your new fantasy series, but um, we, we could just talk to you for a long time, but we don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> Well, just to keep going along in my previous line, I, I, I do a more or less monthly political cartoon for an online magazine called Tablet. And, and uh, that allows me to do my, my occasional political rants every once in a while. Jules, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. I love the chance to talk about myself, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. You just want to call and just tell us stories. That's great. (laughs) Congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast, where we were absolutely thrilled to talk with the legendary Jules Pfeiffer. Please check out the rest of our 2020 mini episodes. They're linked in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.